his younger brother. Uh, and, uh, but eventually it develops, and he became really rigid. And like I said, he was never able to communicate. Uh, and eventually it got to the point where he stayed in a wheelchair. And actually at the age of 15, uh, we had to make the decision. I didn't have to. My mom made the decision uh, to put him in a nursing facility. And that was a tough decision because we loved Bradley. We loved him being with us, but it just got to the point where we could not take care of him, and it was the best decision we ever made. He runs that place, right? He's the youngest person there, and every nurse, every person there is wrapped around Bradley's finger. Now, before you go, oh, you know, this is such a heartwarming story, I would like to inform you that he is still my older brother and has attempted to end my life on multiple occasions uh, in the older brother fashion. Not really tried to end my life, but it got close. Uh, in fact, Ben and I are cousins, first cousins, so we were at each other's houses all the time. And on a particular instance, he had gotten an electric wheelchair. For the first time, uh, he was able to move about as much as he would like, and he used it in older brother fashion. Ben and I uh, were at the, uh, we were trying to pick out DVDs, I guess it, was DVD, it may have been VHSs at this point, of what we were going to watch. And we were trying to be nice and include him on what he wanted to watch, but he got outvoted, right? We, we chose something else. Well, before I knew it, uh, the, the, the foot of that wheelchair was in my lower back, and I was pinned against the entertainment. You laugh, but I was pinned against the entertainment center, and this look on Ben's face like, what is happening? You know, because this had never happened before. And I looked at him like, what is happening? This has never happened before. And I'm gasping for air. And my mom runs over and starts hitting him on the hand. Stop. you got to stop that. And I'm like, I'm about to die over, <laughs> over a movie choice, right? This is terrible. So before you're like, oh, Bradley, and have all these warm fuzzies, he's still my older brother, right? And he would want me to, he would want me to make that clear, that he is still my older brother and still around. But... When you grow up with someone like that, there are different perspectives. You know, I can remember being a kid and being frustrated at people looking at him everywhere he went. You know, he didn't care. He loved it. He was kind of like me, right? There's some, some connection there, and we like people looking at us. You know, I'm the guy who walks around with a sign upside down and says, let this be a sign at, you know, WrestleMania or, or some sporting event. My wife's 20 yards behind me like, oh, I can't believe he's doing this. But that's just the way life is, right? So I love being up in front of people. And he's never had a problem with it, but I remember being a kid and going, man, stop looking at my brother like that, you know? And uh, there there are different perspectives. People see things differently, and seeing Bradley elicits some responses, right? Some people probably, what was wrong? What went wrong? What is going on there? You know, And, and these perspectives aren't wrong. That's just how we work. And I'm one of the biggest people watchers there is. Like, man, hey, I ain't got nothing to do. Let's go down to the mall and just see who shows up, right? And I can sit there and be entertained for hours. And Bradley could too. I mean, but the problem is, is Bradley doesn't really have a lot of shame. Uh, He can't communicate verbally, but with his facial expressions in his hands, he can be pretty clear. I've got a few ants that he has no time for, right? Hey, Bradley, how you doing? You know, and it, it's pretty clear that how he feels about the situation or if he has something more important. Pity. There are people who look at him and, and they pity him, you know, and that all comes from a good place. But being his younger brother, I'm like, this man needs no pity, right? This man needs no pity. Uh, he is not a pity party. And he's never lived his life that way. Never, never lived his life that way. But for his brother, the perspective is 
is he is never going to get to do the things that I get to do. And so, when I get to do things, I'm doing them for two people. I'm going to squeeze the life out of every second of life. And I'm going to have the best time I can doing that. And so, as a football coach or as a youth minister, I've had people who come to me and go, man, you know, so-and-so feels left out or so-and-so isn't getting what he wants out of life. And I'm always like, that sounds like a you problem. Like, you have to make the decision, you know. And so I have to always, like, gauge that because it's not always the best response. But it's like, hey, I'm not in a wheelchair in a nursing home, and I get to go to West Virginia when he does. Uh, now, this great thing has created this Facebook, FaceTime Facebook Live has gone, and man, that has changed his life. He gets to go do those things and hang out. When my mom comes to our house to hang out with my kids, he calls in on Facebook Live, and he sits there and watches the things that we watch, and he play, gets to pl- watch them play video games and gets to watch them grow up. It's phenomenal. It's a wonderful, amazing thing. But he's also motivation. Right? When somebody walks in and says, hey, you've got leukemia. Your blood's trying to kill you. What are you going to do about it? Well, I'm going to do what Brown does. I'm going to face it head on. As long as there's a plan and there's a process, then we can do that. And so I have garnered a tremendous amount of motivation from this guy who does not get to do half the things that I get to do. And because of that, man, it's, life is different. My perspective on life is different. We look at Romans 1.20 where it talks about the invisible attributes of God speak to his glory. And most of us probably at this time know someone who can look at the same sunset and come to a completely different conclusion. I see that sunset or I see the beauty of this state that we've been driving through and I immediately go, God. But for God, God created that. There are people who look at it, oh, that just happened. It's a different perspective, is it not? We can look at the same thing and come away with a different perspective. So our first point this morning is C, S-E-E, C. Uh, And so we look at John, if you look at John chapter 9 and verse 3, the blind man, the disciples, Jesus walked by this blind man and there are questions to be asked. They see a guy through a different perspective. And so what are the different perspectives that we see here? Disciples see the consequences of sin. Are they wrong? Not really. Every uh, sickness and disease and anything that leads to death is because of sin. It's like if you go to the funeral home and someone's just lost a loved one and somebody goes, why did this happen? They're not looking for a theological discourse. And if you've ever tried that, you know that that's not a great response. That's not really what they're asking. They may have... Be preachers who preach the gospel all their life. They know the wages of sin is death, and that's not the place for that. That's not what they're looking for. They're looking for some kind of comfort. And uh, something I'm trying to learn very quickly is keep your mouth shut in that situation. They just need somebody to be there, right? They need somebody to be available. And uh, keeping your mouth shut is not something that comes very easy to me. My wife would agree. She'd be here. She'd be, you, know, uh, you need some help on that. They're not wrong. What, who's sin? But they, the problem is they want to know who to what? Blame. Blame. Sometimes we do the same thing. If Jesus came here looking for sinners, there's only one person that doesn't fit that bill. It's him. You know? 
So, duh, yeah, sin. Sin causes this. If you look later in the chapter, what, what is it? The neighbors, well, he's blind. He'll always be that blind guy, right? His story for people will always start with, well, he was blind, but now he sees, but he's that blind guy. He'll always be that. To some people, I'll always be that twerk kid, Jacksonburg Church Christ. No matter how much I mature, if that ever happens, y'all let me know. No matter how much that happens, I'm going to be that guy, right? I'm going to be the head football coach at Riverside. You know, I got people who call me coach. I, I gave up coaching the, head, the varsity in middle school last year. And I've had people call me coach. Oh, you're not coaching. I'll always be coach, right? That's fine. It doesn't hurt my feelings. I enjoyed my time coaching. So I'll always be coach. Some of to people, I'll always be Ben. <laughs> Whatever that works, you know. Uh, hey, you. Good thing I respond to that. But I'll always be that guy. But what did Jesus see that guy? Let's look there. Verse 3. Now, as you want to pray, uh, I'm sorry, I'm looking at Acts 9. That's the wrong 9. 9 verse 3 of John. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. I like that answer for everybody else. Do you know that? You know, if you're suffering, well, this is for the Lord to be praised. I don't like it so much when it's a response to me, Right? Like, I like this story, being the blind man, because I'm not the blind man. Hey, that's a great answer, Jesus. What I don't like it is when he's like, hey, it's your turn. <laughs> but Jesus sees this as what? An opportunity. Jesus is surrounded by opportunity. You know what Jesus does? He backs a thousand on opportunity. That doesn't mean we always get it. There are verses I read a thousand times, a thousand once. I'm like, well, Okay. That's what he meant there. That's pretty good. You know? You may be like, man, I don't know why our preacher preaches the same sermon all the time. Have you got it yet? <laughs> Is it showing up in your life yet? Because he might need to do it again. And he might. He might do it. Now, he may just have a bad memory like I do. Uh, but either way, Jesus can use that. Jesus is looking at opportunity. Jesus is looking at opportunity. And so where I see a guy in a wheelchair that doesn't get to do everything else, Jesus says, hey, I can use that. I can use that guy. And not use that guy to his own benefit, which that happens. But I can use that guy to the glory of God, and he benefits. He is valuable in my sight. Second point is why. You'll notice, see, why. Y'all may know where I'm going with the next one. But anyways, see, why. So why, in John chapter 5 and verse 6, this is another guy that Jesus is healing. Uh, he heals the lame man. I'm still waiting for that miracle with me that I wouldn't be so lame. Sorry, that, that joke was lame. But see, it's so many levels here. So many levels. Uh, you asked me to speak. I didn't ask to speak. But you gave me that chance. So here you go. Verse 6, chapter 5 of John. When Jesus saw him lying there, and I knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? I don't know about you, but the word duh comes to mind. <laughs> Duh. Yeah, I want to be healed. Like, what kind of question is that? Duh. But do you want to be healed? These professional counselors in the room, right? You got all kinds of people. Oh, we want to be healed. Do you really? Are you doing what I told you to do? If you love me, keep my commandments. Show your obedience. Do you want to be healed? Right? Now, I'm a historian. I like, I'm not a historian, but I'm a history. Yeah, I love history. And I don't understand. Most of the time when people lose, we don't flaunt that. 
You know, the Tide lost yesterday. I pretty much knew they were going to lose yesterday. But I ain't going to run around saying roll Tide as much, okay? I, that may be because I'm in West Virginia. I don't know. But, you know, I'm just not going to fly that flag at high. You know, that's just how we usually respond. The South will rise again. Y'all heard that? <laughs> like, I don't really understand that. You know, we lost. I don't know if we remember that or not. But there are people who wear that as a badge of honor. We lost, but we lost for whatever cause. Sometimes we do that with our difficulties, right? That's just who I am. That's who I'm always going to be. A loser? Like, how many of us want to be a loser? Now, most of us verbally would say, I don't want to be a loser. But some of us walk around being losers. And we are comfortable with that. Verbally, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But this question is important. It's a question to all of us. Do you want to be healed? Because that, my friends, is a game changer. Do you want joy? Do you want peace? Do you want patience? Do you want all those things? What are you willing to do? I've coached for several years. I had teams that won championships. We won four of them. I had a team that won one game. You may remember which teams had the most people on them ready to go. Woo! The next year, we won a championship. Everybody wants to win a championship. Until they're showing up when nobody else is in school and working out, lifting, and running. And then that changes everybody's minds. There's a coach that's from here who says, everybody wants to be a beast until you have to do what beasts do. And then some people don't want it. They're not willing to. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed today? You want to be healed today? And I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm not here to tell the Lord what he can and can't do. That's not my business, not my job. He can heal you if he wants to from your physical deal. But I know for a fact he'll heal you from the spiritual issues you got. I know he will. It's what he came to do. But you know, he, you, you have to kind of acknowledge that you're blind or that you have an issue before you can start with it. Before it can get better. You have to be able to say, hey, I need to be healed. And then you have to say, I really want to be healed and I'm willing to do. Now, here's the great answer. In compared to what God has done, we do very little. He does all the heavy lifting. All of it. All of it. He just shows, hey, out of your love for me, here's the things I want you to do. And guess what? When you do those things, it makes life a little more streamlined. I won't say it makes it easy. Easy and simple are very different concepts, right? Like simple does not always equate easy. Right? And the world does not make it any easier. Honey's exactly right. We have one enemy. That simplifies things. Doesn't make it easy. I've heard people say, man, I wish that old devil was physical and he just showed up in my bedroom every morning when I wake up. I I'll take a pass. I don't want any part of that. No thank you, no whatever. Right? I like in some ways, not being able to see that. I love that Lonnie brought out that idea of, I want you to, but he says, he, I want you to have the strength to be able to handle all those measurements of God's love. What is Paul talking about? We talk about being overwhelmed by the world and bad things that certainly happen. But Paul says, the love of God is overwhelming. It can be crushing. Above and beyond all that. What all did Paul have to deal with at that time? Did he have anything going on? Probably just chilling at home, drinking his sweet tea. That's probably not true. Uh, you know, and everything is easy street for Paul. So he's going to write these letters to these people about 
deal with these. There are a ton of things Paul could have written about other than the love of Christ and how it might overwhelm you. Instead, he's like, hey, you get a little taste of that and you want more, it's addictive. And you can't get enough. And that's more overwhelming than the Romans wanting my head and the Jews making my life hard. It overwhelms everything. Romans 8, 18, for the present suffering doesn't even bear mentioning. There's no comparison to the glory that we'll have. I want me some of that right here. I'll just take it all day long. I came to give life and life more abundantly. If I ask you, you want to be healed from whatever issue you got, back pain, whatever, neck pain, cancer, your answer would be yes. But do you really? Are you willing to do what it takes? And maybe you're sitting there going, I've done everything they could tell me and it's not gone. I know people like that. I know people like that. But the beauty of it is, is that through Jesus, we can carry it just as he carried the cross. And in that, God is made stronger. I, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around the math of that, right? I, I prayed three times for him to remove whatever it was. It's like, through that, I'm made through your weakness. What does that tell me? When we mess up, God can be glorified in it. In fact, to walk in the light of his light is to admit you have what? Sin. That you mess, mess up. Admitting that we mess up should be like second nature to Christians. If I'm preaching a sermon and I ain't repentant of something, I haven't preached a sermon. About every Sunday I get up and go, hey guys, this is where I blew it this week. So if you want to listen to what I got to say, that's fine, but just listen to the scriptures, you know. I am at the same time in admitting I mess up, I'm expressing the glory of God to redeem that. That's awesome. It's awesome. Wonderful. Great. I don't have to get up here and be the most eloquent person in the world. In fact, Paul spends a lot of Corinthians talking about the eloquence of man and how weak it is and how worthless it is. You just present Jesus, him crucified, and we'll get that ball rolling. So we get to Acts chapter 8, as I promised. That third point, or the third point is C, S-E-E. We get to Acts chapter 8 in verse 30, and we have this discussion here, and I love it, right? So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah. This is an Ethiopian eunuch prophet Isaiah, and asked, do you understand what you are reading? I'm a teacher. Right? I know the uh, facial expressions of I am not getting this. You know, what I very well that tells you how good a teacher I am, right? I get that look of oh, no, this is not computing. I look at my kids and I, I can not computing. You know, I, I learned through uh, hanging out with Ben, a counselor. Uh, that's why we do the podcast. I get free counseling out of it. Uh, and so I come up with these ideas, and Ben's over there like, no, nah, that, that's not how that works. Uh, but what I've come out of that with is when a kid tells you they don't know, they're telling the truth a lot of the time. They have no idea why they did what they did. That's why in Romans 8, it's like he intercedes for us. We don't have words to use to say, I don't understand what I need to tell you, Jesus. I know what you're trying to tell me. Oh, really? That's awesome. That must come with being the creator of the universe and speaking it into existence. He, he knows our hearts. But there are honestly, I don't know. And, and he's honest. How can I know unless someone teaches me? 
But it's a great question. Do you understand? It's a question that I ask a lot, being the father of a seven and a six-year-old. Do you understand? And they don't have to say anything because we have that connection. And so do we see what we need? We need someone to guide us. Older folks, thank you for being here today. Do you know what that says to the younger folks? This is important. This is important. One of the reasons I gave up coaching, still trying to work on my fandom a little bit, but one of the reasons I gave up coaching is because I began to see in my kids that they could tell there was something that was more important in my life than A, maybe them, and even worse, better than Jesus. It was like, no, that can't happen. You walk out the door a couple of times, your kids, hey, where are you going? I'm going to practice. Oh, man. Ooh. Time to reshift. Time to rethink things. And that wasn't football's fault. That was my fault for letting my priorities get out of line. But it's what people see. The reason I stick in church and do and stuck through a cancer diagnosis of all those things were a lot of older folks who poured into me at an 80-member congregation. The guy that I'd walk in the back Sunday night, we got to lead singing. They let us young folks lead the songs. There was a guy in the back. I never saw him lead. I never saw him get up in front of the congregation, not once. But he would pull me over and go, hey, could you sing this song? That's impactful. Because A, he thought I could do it when I didn't think I could. And so you better believe I'm up there trying. I've never seen him lead, but he put confidence in me that I could do it. That's huge. Isn't that what Jesus does? I have confidence in you. Isn't that what Paul says to the Corinthians? If you've ever had an opportunity not to have confidence in people, you'd think Paul would look at Corinth and go, I think I'll shy away from the confidence word. He says, I got confidence, not really in you to get it right, but that God will. And so then I know that whatever happens, it's going to be to his glory. So what is the proper response to Jesus? What is the proper response? When we look at verse 12 of Acts 8, it says, But when they believed Philip, had, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. We see a proper response here. We have a song, I Can Only Imagine What Will Happen. You know, and I have a hard time with that song because I read scriptures and I'm like, when Jesus shows up, especially after his resurrection, uh, you know, even John, like his best friend in the world, becomes like a dead man. Like, whoa, I, I've never seen this side of Jesus. You ever seen that one guy who was really meek and humble and then all of a sudden he got upset about something? You're like, oh, I've never seen this. But I have a new level of respect for this human being. I have seen the bear, right? And I don't like him. And I would like for him to go away. And so I'm going to, that's kind of what we see. We have this lamb Jesus that comes. Thankfully, we should all be happy because it's nothing for you to be joyful about today. The Lamb of God came first and not the Lion of Judah. Because the Lion of Judah comes first. We ain't here today. I'm just telling you. But the Lion is coming. And you need to know that today. The peace-loving, hippie Jesus that usually is a character. It's not really. You know, Jesus talks about hell more than anybody else. So there's this judgment that's coming. And we've got to get ready for it. The first time he came and he gave us this opportunity, a tremendous, wonderful, amazing opportunity. If you have not taken advantage of today, do it today. Because every excuse that you can give the Lord today will be an excuse. It's lame today, but it'll be an extremely lame one when you're looking at the line of Judah. And you probably won't even get the opportunity to give it. 
So our perspective on how we see Jesus is immediately how we respond to him. And they have the proper response in verse 12. Then we get to verse 32 and 33. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was, Like a sheep he was led to slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? That's that lamb that came to sacrifice and die and loved us so much that he died a death. How much money do we spend every single year to put off death? As a chemotherapy survivor, that's how I kind of look at it, uh, I spent a lot of money in insurance to stay alive. He came to die so that we could live. That was his purpose. And so the world saw him as this lamb and they took advantage of it. And I, I, I plead with you today to do the same. To take advantage of a wonderful, amazing Opportunity, And they saw this person who had nothing about his outer appearance that made you take notice of it. But it was everything on the inside. It was the way he lived his life. It was the way he treated people. There's that cross, right, we talked about last night. That's what was different. And he allowed himself to be taken in the hands of sinners and give his life. But how do you see Jesus returning? Jesus that will return excites an immediate response. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, how do you know somebody gets it? They take charge. They got it. And the eunuch doesn't have to wait for Philip to go, hey, here's some water. We can do this right now. What is it? See, there's water. See, there's water. We're not going to offer the invitation right now, but it's always open. It has nothing to do with Travis Creasy. I don't close the doors on that. I don't open the doors on that. But there's one who will. And the day's approaching. So why not right now? Every excuse you give me on the day of judgment will be a lame one. Stop being lame. Let's pray. Your gracious Father, we thank you for the life you give us. God, you give us opportunity. Every breath we take, I... I've been a Christian since I was 12, and you know that. And I've sinned way more since then than before. And so every time I hear the truth, every time I get to preach the truth, there's a challenge that's on me to live in such a way that I know you have the words of eternal life, and I can't get them anywhere else. God, I'm thankful for the examples in my life. I'm thankful for Bradley. I'm thankful for these folks that travel with me all over the place. I'm thankful for these wonderful people who have made a choice to be here, not with their time, but with the time you've given them. It's a small amount. And yet, God, every day, every breath, even on our worst day, is a blessing because while we were yet sinners, you sent your Son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.